Bob, about um, our money for tonight. That's right. Uh, $200, and you boys drank $300 worth of beer. Is that asking for too much? Just a, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, welcome once again to Free Range Idiocy. If this is your second time listening to us, congratulations. Go buy yourself a drink. Uh, If this is your first time listening to us, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, We are uh, now on the Twitters and on the Facebook. We have gone big time. It's only a matter of time before world domination is in our grasp. If you'd like to follow us at Twitter, uh, we are at Free Range Idiocy. We are also at Free Range Idiocy on Facebook as well. And you can subscribe through Podbean and through iTunes. And uh, yeah. So we I'm have our bases sure. covered, is what you're saying? Pretty much, yeah. We're, right. I mean, we're mere days away from world conquest in the podcast sense, really. I was just going to say, step two, profit. Is that step three? <laughs> I think it's. <laughs> or is that step four? <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> you know, we are in real trouble here. All right. Oh, and, uh, man. and of course, this leads me into with me, as always, on the other end of this line, the Shawn Michaels to my Marty Janetti. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Shabbat. Mr. Hello, Tim, how hello. you doing, sir? Uh, I am well. How are you? And thank you. Uh, last time it was Conquistador number two. Now I'm the Shawn Michaels to your Marty Janetti. Thank you very much. Hey, you know, because you have that sweet chin music. Uh, well, um, you know, I do try. <laughs> you better stretch because, you know, neither one of us are getting any younger. You might get up there. <laughs> <laughs> My back. Just kibitzing uh, around on the floor after that. <laughs> it ain't a good look. It's just uh, not a good look. A no, middle-aged man on the floor just, ah! <laughs> Anywho, so uh, so so we have our bases covered on the internets. You say? I, I believe we do. We are we are all Excellent. over the place now. We are all we're, up we're, in your internet. We're turning right into a now. professional outfit over here. Well, let's not go that far. <laughs> I don't think there's any. We're not in any danger of being called professional. And I even put all little right. air quotes up for for those keeping score at home. All right, um, good to know. So good to know. let's uh, let's find out first and foremost the most important question of the evening. What is your beverage of choice this evening, sir? Uh, this evening I am uh, enjoying a Goose Island IPA, uh, so a uh, little Ooh. little local flavor. Um, Look at you! I know supporting the locals. I love that's it. right. That's right. Uh, I, on the other hand, am not supporting anything local um, because uh, you can't get bourbon in Maine. Not real bourbon, at least. Yes. You can get whiskey, but you can't get bourbon. And we'll <laughs> okay, get into okay. that later. So oh, uh, this Lord. evening, uh, I'm enjoying uh, Four Roses Single Barrel Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Which you just sound so much classier than I do. <laughs> it's all an act. What, what are you having, Tim? I'm having Goose Island. <laughs> What are you having, uh, Todd? I'm having a single barrel malt, you know, three shades to the wind sort of. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh this was my gosh. aged <laughs> in the aged left side. Of, year. <laughs> it was aged in the left side of the basement of a of a Kentucky distillery that is three degrees latitude east of. I, I, again, see, I I know I can uncork the bottle. There you go. That's how classy I am. You, you uh, and one more bit of business is, uh, as we are recording this, ladies and gentlemen, uh, 
Tim is about to celebrate another spin around the sun. Uh, it is your birthday tomorrow, sir. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So happy birthday. And just in my, in my gift to you, I just want to let oh, you dear. know ahead of time, if at oh, any point during this recording, there's a bit of a tie in, our, in any of our disagreements, the tie goes to you tonight. Oh, thank you. I, that's, I that's, appreciate that. That's only because it's way too expensive to ship you some bourbon through the mail. I'm cheap. I know. I know. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Wow. You could have at least tried to come to the, my defense a little bit. <laughs> is this really what our friendship Sorry. is all about? Uh, no, it's, it, it runs deeper. See, now you've even taken you know. too long to answer that. How have you managed to stay married this long, sir? This stuff should be, like, reflexive. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, we're in real trouble tonight, folks. Okay, we, so. We are. We are. Uh, so we've covered the, the social medias. Um, we've covered, and by the way, if you, if you do have any questions for us, if you have uh, any thoughts or anything like that, you can go on Facebook, send us a message there, send us a direct message on Twitter, and we'll get that eventually. And, um. In the meantime, if you just want to follow us, you know, there's all kinds of shenanigans happening, especially on Twitter, because it's quite honestly, it's just like a really fun thing to do while you're in the bathroom. Um, it's just it's very, you know what, let's just leave it at that. Anyways, um, so we covered all that. So what is our topic for this evening, <coughs> sir? I believe we are discussing um, reboots of movies and TV shows. And yes. What is the best and the worst about them? Yes, reboots, remakes, and reboots of the remakes. And well, and remakes of the reboots. Yes, and as much as we might not like these, as much as they might aggravate us, and even though some of them are good, some of them are bad, uh, basically the long and the short of it is, as long as they're making money, it's pretty much like herpes and we're stuck with them for life. Great it's analogy. true, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I ask you, am I lying? No. So let's okay. just move along. <laughs> I can just I'm picture not... your head in your hands. Just, oh, why did I do this? <laughs> what have I gotten myself into? Oh, my god. What has my life come to? I thought I had uh, finally gotten rid of this moron. <laughs> yeah. No, come on now. It's all good. See, now that one you were right on top of, and I appreciate that. I gave you another chance. Well, in that one, the sound didn't cut out, so I actually could hear what you were saying. So, Oh, <laughs> we're going to blame it on the sound issues. Yes, mm. we are. Yeah. Uh, how, does that, how does that work when you're talking with your wife? I'm just curious. Uh, it, it doesn't. There are no sound issues. So, <laughs> Good man. All right. So anyways, we have to we – I, I, we, we, so we started talking about this uh, a little bit, discussing what the topic for this episode would be, and then we both kind of realized that we weren't really sure what it was we were going to talk about because reboots and remakes are those things that uh, – two words that kind of get used interchangeably a lot, um, even by us as we were discussing this. We'd be talking about it like, no, I think, I think we are actually talking about a remake there, not a reboot. Um, yeah. So here's how I kind of think about it, and I'm going to bring it back to, well, whiskey and bourbon. Um, so basically, the idea is that uh, all bourbon is whiskey, but not all whiskey is bourbon. Does that make Got sense? It. I think so. Okay, good. That means I haven't had too much bourbon yet. Um, and you haven't had too much Goose Island, so we're both no. in good shape thus far. No. So basically, um, 
a reboot is a restart or a revival kind of giving fresh input or 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 information or kind of a new twist on things a remake is a movie that has already been made before but basically is being redone with minimal changes just kind of updated in time period so yeah, and like one that, example i like one example i gave you about that was like um Going back to, I think it was the late 2000s, there was a Swedish film that came out called uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yep. Um, it, it was based on, a, I think, a three-book uh, trilogy, and it was the first of those three. And then, in a, I think it was 2014, um, there was an American version of it made, which, you know, wasn't a complete replica of the Swedish one, but very much followed the same pattern, story, so forth. And so that is a remake, not a reboot. Yeah. So the way I've been trying to think of it, or the way it kind of started making sense to me is that uh, all remakes are not reboots, but all reboots are in some way, shape, or form a ver- a bit of a remake. Because you are, with a lot of the reboots, you're going back and you're telling similar parts of the story, or you're, you're kind of, you might be reinventing the kind of the history or the mythology of the of the source that you're you're going from. So even though you're like, "Oh no, it's going to be different." You're still working off of that same source material, so there is a bit of a remake element in it. It's almost uh, whereas, like you're telling a different story in a way, you know. And and I think some of the examples we we will cover will kind of bring that to bear. Yeah, yeah. Um so basically what I will say is uh we started out with or I started out with an agenda to trash some movies and I realized they don't quite fit into the what we're talking about what we're still going to mention many ways because I have an axe to grind so well I uh, I was I was going to say that once Todd has a point Todd wants to make his point well yeah I have no defense I I I, I offer no defense I have no apologies well you said it best there there's an axe to be to be ground so let's let's start grinding I have no regrets. Yes. Um, so yes, yes. let's. Uh, I think you picked the you were, you picked the wisest order during our last episode. Uh, let's go with the worst first, and then All we'll right. try and pull ourselves out of this hole with the best later. But right now, reboots. Why are they the worst? That idea is just the worst. So the first question we have is, what makes a reboot horrible? Like, what is it about reboots that's bad, or what is it about the process that can create a bad TV show or movie. Yeah, I I think part of it is just that when you start down that path, it it's like what what are you trying to say differently from from the first one? Um, and you know, I think you kind of mentioned it. You know, is, is it just rehashing something that had already been done before, or is it trying to put kind of a creative spin on? Um, on, on that that particular you know character or uh, a flavor of story you know related to that character I mean some of the examples we'll talk about are in some in uh, are somewhat in the the comic book realm mm-hmm. um, ma- mainly because there's a plethora of stories that you can tell with some you know with some characters you know especially like with Marvel um, and and well I mean Marvel and DC but um, there, there's a lot to be told. And so movies will t- typically pick one arc and kind of focus on that arc. And so uh, in, in the sense of a reboot, 
Um, you're kind of hoping you're bringing something different to the table, but in the case of ones that don't quite work, it seems like they miss the train in uh, the creative department. Yeah, and I think another part that, that kind of can tie into that is that instead of using creativity, there can just be change just for the sake of change. Like, oh, right. well, we're going to change right. something, and therefore that makes it a reboot. Now it's new and fresh. It's like, no, because there's no good creative reason why you're doing it. Yeah. You're doing yeah. it just, just to try and change things up. Um, right. And then uh, the other thing that I think that, that can happen is you can get some of these uh, reboots that are like, oh, they're gritty. We're going to make this gritty. And that's, and you know, so, I mean, I, I'm all for, we're going to cite a, a, a favorite example of ours later on in the best section that definitely took a much, you could say gritty, I would maintain realistic is a better way to describe it, approach to the material and to the characters and to the stories. Sometimes grittiness is merited and is, is warranted by the subject matter or can be an interesting direction to take. But when it's just, hey, we're going to use like, oh, we're going to make this gritty for the sake of the change instead of using it creatively it can just be a total bomb. Yeah, and, and it seems like in the last two decades, the you know, I'll go back to the comic book movies. I think the you know one example that I mean we're not going to get into too deeply, but I think anyone who's seen them would would agree. Um, you know, a place where a misapplication of dark, gritty sort of storytelling falls within the DC realm. You know that yes, by trying to you know tell this dark story with Superman or with Batman and Superman and so on and so forth, it, it just oh it, yeah, it, it, it that it completely fits into what you said. Now it wasn't a reboot per se, but it was, um, I guess, in a small way, it could be considered a reboot. I mean, Batman. Well, they were changing the th- they were changing things so drastically about the characters that it might as well have been a reboot. because there, there was yeah. no way you could relate some of the aspects of those characters to who they were. Yeah. And even in, even in the comics, which do tend to can tend to have like, I mean, comic books have re reboot characters all the time. I mean, just constantly. So, I mean, you have to specify like, Oh, this character before this and after this and all that. I mean, it's been years since I've really collected comic books, but even during the time when I was, it was, Oh, wait a minute. So this is happening now. (laughs) Right, right. I, I and, must have missed a few issues. Yeah, and and we'll we'll get into this later in the best, but I I think you know especially when you have a character like Batman, for example, that you're bringing into this after Batman goes through the treatment it went through with Christopher Nolan. Um, it's just like how how do you even start with that? You know what I mean? Oh and, yeah. And so they go they they go down this path, and it just doesn't pan out because it's all about trying to make it darker and more edgy to to yeah you know kind of be attractive i think and and the batman example actually brings up the other point i think is what you know another point that affects whether a reboot works or doesn't is is time um and what you know we'll get into this a moment with um the 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 two movie amazing spider-man um you know trip we went on with with those two movies where uh, i mean i think they started making those like what no more than four or five years after the last you know toby Maguire one and it just yeah doesn't feel like it's the right amount of time to then quote unquote reboot a franchise other than you just want to make a quick buck so 
which I guess at the yeah. end of the day is what is is kind of the motivating factor behind why there's any reboots at all. So, oh, totally, totally. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, so, just to, just for those scoring at home, and actually we will get through this, but uh, between Spider-Man three and Amazing Spider-Man, you had seven years. Oh, was it seven? Really? Oh no, wait. I'm sorry. That was. I'm looking at Amazing Spider-Man two. Where the heck is Amazing Spider-Man? No, you had five years. Okay, so four to five. That, that, that's yeah. what I thought. So you know, let me let me get into the my axe to grind, and then yeah, we can, we can actually get into this into the properness of this. If there is a properness of anything that we actually do during this podcast, do start, please. Um, my axe to grind in this was I wanted to rail on the new Disney live action movies. Um, because it's, it is, it, it, I just, I don't like them. I don't, I don't like them. I, I have a, I have a kid and I have seen Cinderella, uh, Beauty and the Beast and Jungle Book. I forgot I had even seen that one. Um, and I, I don't like it. Don't like it. And to me, I can almost, I could, I could convincingly given enough time and enough bourbon make the case for these remakes being reboots because essentially what they're doing is once they had one that worked they realized it's just as good as rebooting a franchise because now we own all this stuff we own all of these even if we don't make cinderella 2 even if we don't make beauty and the beast part 2 electric boogaloo you know we can <laughs> we can just keep remaking all of our animated movies into live action movies it's its own franchise in a way it's this just vein of material that they can mine and it's and in some cases there's some changes like i i think that cinderella was there was enough little changes in there that i was like "Eh, okay not horrible but okay you know but from what i've heard of the lion king it's like shot for shot essentially the the animated movie becoming a live action movie and yeah, the, yeah. the big problem I have with this, number one, is I was, I guess I, yeah, I was all right with it. I was tolerant of the whole thing. I was cool with it until I heard they were making an Aladdin. And then I was like, whoa, 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 time out. No, 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 I'm sorry. And go ahead and change the rest of the movie. But Robin Williams to me was so iconic in that character that I, I was like, no, I'm, I'm done. I'm tapping out. I'm done. Yeah. And, yeah. and Will Smith, I'm sure if there hadn't been a Robin Williams doing that role before, it would have done fantastic. And I'd probably been like, hey, cool, Will Smith. Because who doesn't like Will Smith, really? I mean, even if you're not a fan of, of his rap career or even his acting career, the dude just seems like such a good guy. <laughs> like, right, right. He's one yeah. of those people who's like, almost like, you'd be hard-pressed to find things about him to really dislike that much for that long. Like, I could see being upset at Will Smith for like, five minutes and then be like oh yeah what was i mad about never mind (laughs) well but but without without that you know without that thing now it's like i don't want to see will smith as a genie i don't want to see anyone but robin williams as a genie right and and then that that kind of was what made me turn on these and then the other piece of this that we kind of mentioned i know i'm rattling on about this longer than i said i would but i got an axe to grind so screw it um the other thing being that the way that the uh, the Writers Guild works and the way that screenwriting credits and all this stuff goes, animated movies are not protected the same way that live action movies are protected for writers. So, oh, really? 
the writer of the original Aladdin gets nothing in royalties when they basically just remake the movie. It's not like based on and there's some sort of kickback. Writers get nothing. Like wow. the, the people who wrote The Lion King get nothing from the new Lion King, even if they basically just recycle the script. Jeez. It's not it, it, like they can that's, do that, that. That's incredible <laughs> because the whole reason they're remaking it is because of that, right? Yeah, and the thing is, like, there is such minimal investment from Disney. They don't have to pay any rights. Wow. And now they don't have to pay anyone any, like, royalties off of the previous previous movie. Like, yeah. it is it is a gold mine for them because it is so pre-sold. There is so many people who are going to show up to those movies because, I mean, I have, I have great movies, uh, great memories of watching those movies, you know, like Aladdin and, and The Lion King, in the in the theater when I was younger, yeah. you know. So yeah. of course people are going to take their kids because they're like, oh my gosh, I remember watching this and blah 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 blah. Well, and and what's crazy about that is right, they the originals were you know adaptations of these you know these fables and mm-hmm. and the way they did it and you know you talk about Aladdin, I mean that is one of those cases where the bar was set so astronomically high by the original. I would say it's almost a fool's errand to even try to go in there and reboot or remake it. Except um, there's because like, it's pre-sold. The, there's no yeah. money they have to really invest. In. I mean, they're investing money. I mean, don't. I'm, it's not like they get everything everything for free. Yeah. But it's not like they have to go buy the rights. They own right. it. Like Disney, right. Disney owns all that stuff. Yeah. And they've already made so much money off of those movies already. Like those movies have already generated a ton of income for them over the years. Yeah. I mean, it's now it's just, it's essentially like, Hey, you want to print some more money? Sure. I mean, I, I remember uh, a couple of years. Yeah. A couple of years back we saw, I think it was beauty and the beast, the live one. Um, and you know, I, I actually didn't mind it, but part of it was the fact that, you know, it didn't have that same, I mean, it, it has its own iconic sort of level. I mean, all of these movies do. I mean, Disney just, in in the uh, late 80s early 90s they just struck gold with whether it's the writers or the people involved um, producing it or the actors themselves they just seem to hit um, you know the jackpot in terms of always just being able to crank out a hit um, you mm-hmm. know like an animated hit and so it, it was kind of neat going back and watching that and you know there was definitely the nostalgia part for me that I enjoyed so I, I you know like that one I don't have as much of an issue with i think like you said with with um you know with a movie like aladdin where it was just so you know robin williams just owned that whole thing and i just don't know how you go about doing the same kind of take on it again without going in a different direction you know what i mean Mm-hmm. so um so for me i mean it's you know it's one of those things that you know given what you stated i certainly get it i i, I think part of the problem is too that they're going up against themselves in some ways in terms of the success that they had um that you know to try to remake or re or like we said like treat it as a reboot almost is just you know it feels like a little bit like a fool's errand in a way except for the fact that they're going to make a ton of cash oh yeah because they did off of aladdin yeah they'll they'll play off of the, the the nostalgia thing i mean for me going to see beauty and the beast i completely remember my younger sisters watching that movie i mean that movie was on heavy rotation in the shabbat household for (laughs) oh i bet you know what i mean like it it was just it was just such an iconic movie at that time and yeah um, 
<clears throat> you know, to the point where the, the song started playing and I'm like, oh my gosh, all, all these songs are coming back into my head that I had kind of, you know, exercised in a way. But, yeah. but, but you know, it was, it was, it was, it was neat to kind of be a part of that. But at the same time, when you're bringing in different people to try to supplant or I, I don't mean to say supplant because I, I don't think they're trying to replace what Robin Williams did. But I think when you bring people in to give it's hard for me to even say that it's their own take. I mean, I, I heard some of the music from Aladdin and it's just kind of a different spin on the songs they did in the first one, you know? And yeah, I think they included like a n- one new song or something like that. I'm not sure how much, how different it was. Again, I haven't, I, I haven't seen it. I, I just, I, my wife was like, Hey, we're going to take the kid. I'm going to take the kid to go see. I'm like, no, I'm good. Yeah. Really? I'm like, yeah. yeah, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm not going to go watch the flick. Yeah. And kind of the same with The Lion King and all of them. I mean, they've all made good money. Dumbo was kind of the exception. Dumbo was the one that really just flopped. And and I don't I don't think it's made a ton of money. It was out of theaters pretty quick. Yeah. Um Aladdin did real well. Really well. Cuz again, yeah. that movie when it came out did really well. So right. it's a solid story. It's it's almost like it's yours to mess up. Right. You know? Um, and, and Lion King is probably going to make a butt ton of money because again, it's, it's an iconic story that as long as, as long as they do remake it, like almost frame for frame, people are going to go see it. People went and saw the original, you know, right. I don't know. It, the whole thing just kind of stinks to me. And right. And at that point, it's just, you're, you're kind of, um, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of playing a game of, of working people based on the nostalgia. You know that mm-hmm. you're you're just tapping into that, um, but, you know, because you know, like we talked a little bit last time about you know Star Wars and some of I think the problems there are around nostalgia and what that does to your perspective in terms of the story you're now watching and the expectations that you kind of set up for yourself as you go into it. It just, um, you know, I think we're all suckers in some way for things that bring back nostalgia for us. I mean, right now we're watching. Um, you know, we're starting to watch uh, the first season of Stranger Things um, on Netflix, which I, I don't know mm-hmm. if you've seen that, but I have. Um, the you have? I haven't. I've been I've been told now several times that I need to see it, and I yeah, I have I, and, Netflix. And, so I guess I I'm kind of required to at this point. And one of the coolest things was as soon as I started to hear the the title track music, I I mean I literally just I, I was kind of like laying on the floor watching this thing. I sit up and I'm like I look at my wife. I'm like that's like mu- that's music from Tron. I mean, that, that sounds like something from Tron. That's just incredible. Like, everything about it, I mean, they do such a fantastic job capturing the 80s and yeah. that time period. And, it, and I mean, even during the title track, you'll, you'll appreciate this because I know you like this sort of detail. I mean, even as they're kind of panning through as, you know, they're, they're doing the, the credits and everything, and, they, and then they bring the, the Stranger Things title to, to, the, to the center, there's all this, like, white fleck kind of thing going on off the black that, that you see. Mm-hmm like almost like you're watching an old show. I mean, like they oh. went to that level of detail to yeah. kind of make, give it that feel, you know? And, and you know, so for me, part of my enjoyment of watching it isn't just that it's an original story, you know, that I'm watching now, but, and, and in some ways it's an homage to, to what Spielberg did in the eighties. Um, but it's, it's pulling those, those chords within me that are remembering back when. And I think, you know, when, when you're playing with that in, in, you know, terms of rebooting or remaking movies, 
uh, it's, you know, it's, it's just kind of not the most creative way of, I guess, going about making a buck. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that also, I mean, the, and we won't, I promise we will not get into this because we've already spent way too much time talking about stuff that we shouldn't, we already kind of realized we shouldn't be talking about. Um, but that you mentioning Spielberg in the eighties, ready player one. I mean, when, oh, yeah. when it was, when it was announced that he was the one who was going to direct that movie, I'm like that, nah, that pretty much that's makes total sense. Yep. And I, I, and I watched it, I read the book and I will admit it's not the greatest book ever written. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of criticism to be made for it being pretty shallow and, and just, you know, unrealistic and all that. I mean, okay, fine. It was a fun read. It was a quick read, you know? Um, and then the flick, it, it was kind of the same thing. Like it was a fun flick and it was, it was a, it was an easy watch. I mean, I wasn't too happy with some of the differences between the book and the movie. Other things I was like, Oh, I totally understand why you had to do this differently. But it was just kind of funny watching Spielberg kind of wade through that when it was like, yeah, you really were the person to bring about the blockbuster and, and, and if not directly reference, because there was a lot more Spielberg references in the book than ended up in the movie because he took a lot of them out. He didn't want to be reference self self referential. Um, but I mean, even when the, even when you're looking at stuff, you're like, the reason why that was made was because Spielberg made this. So it's almost like it's like one generation removed. You know, it's just like this is this led to, you know, what he did led to this, what he did led to this, you know, or even like, you know, you look at, you know, some of the things it's backwards, like referential, like, oh, yes, that was influential to Spielberg who did this. You know, it's like anyways. So you get into that cycle you know, where there's stuff where you're like, oh, wow. And that nostalgia totally plays on the whole reboot thing. And, and we're, we kind of want to have that experience again. And you can't really. Right. You just exactly. can't. Exactly. Um, so going off the nostalgia piece, let's, uh, let's kind of hop around to uh, some of the TV examples. And you, I think you've came up with some really good ones here. Um, so the reboots that you kind of came up with for TV, and we'll get to the Spider-Man thing after that. Uh, but you came up with V which was one, a, a great deep pull. Uh, X-Files, which was seemed like it was roundly disliked. Yeah. <laughs> um, Knight Rider, which I even forgot that that was rebooted. Yeah. Did, 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 was the Hoff involved in that? Uh, he, he actually was, believe it or not. Yeah, the, the pilot for it, um, he was a part of it. Um, hmm. And I, I can't remember if it was as bad as this guy being his son sort of thing i i don't quite remember i i think it was so oh, i mean it, it even just had that aspect to it like it's just we're we're, we're so pandering to the uh <laughs> to, to the old the old guard that watched it in the 80s um but uh but yeah so i i i mean if you don't mind i'll start going off on that one if if, if that's okay yeah um but uh what, what I find really funny about that one in particular is I actually went back, I'm trying to think, it was probably, yeah, in the early part of this decade, where I, uh, you know, on, on USA Network, they were playing Knight Rider. And so I, you know, my kids were at the time, I think like eight or nine, nine or 10, somewhere around there. I'm like, oh, let's, you know, this is a show that, you know, dad watched and it was pretty cool. And we start watching it and I'm just kind of like, not that I dislike Knight Rider, it's always going to be that kind of special memory for me as a kid, but I'm watching this like, 
why did why was I so locked into this? I mean, it just felt like so shallow in some ways. You know what I mean? Like, oh, totally. Like just, just compared to other, you know, works that we now watch and see and so forth. I'm just like, did did everyone in the '80s just enjoy cars jumping off of things? I mean, it's just like <laughs> it was kind of like I'm watching well, this. Yeah. And like, like there was I mean, Dukes that, of Hazard, there was Knight Rider, there was yep. Airwolf, there was. Do you remember Street Hawk? It was a motorcycle. Oh. Oh, I love me some Street Hawk. I mean, I was that, so stupid as a kid. Th- that one had an incredible theme music, but that was about it, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, that. I mean, and actually, was it wasn't the dude from Street Hawk? Wasn't he in Murphy Brown, which is another one that you cited? Now don't push it. Just get the feel of the bike. He might have. Oh yeah, the guy who was kind of the director of, like, he was kind of working the control panel. He was there the guy for, in the chair. He was the guy in the chair. He he ended up being a character in Murphy Brown. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just in the eighties, looking back, there was just this weird fascination with vehicles and their ability to do like crazy things, you know, like just constantly, I mean, the only difference between Dukes of Hazzard and Knight Rider is, you know, Knight Rider just, there, there were no ramps. It was just the car magically jumped, uh, you know, 50 feet in the air or something crazy. Turbo boost, baby. Turbo boost. Gotta love it. Um, but it was funny watching it with my kids because they're like, it just wasn't hitting them the same way, you know, and, and, and. And I think part of it is because compared to th- other entertainment they've watched, it just didn't seem to kind of hit that excitement chord for them. No. So when 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 they made when they remade it um, or tried to reboot Rebooted. it, right, re- reboot it with you know connecting it to the old series, connecting it to Michael Knight and all this stuff, it, it again kind of was very hollow because at this stage in our culture, it's just a car and a guy chasing after bad guys just doesn't have the depth that I think we just kind of require now, you know, our sensibilities have gotten, uh, you know, have, have evolved, I think in some ways. And so, um, they, they threw in this cheap gimmick too of, I mean, the car was literally like this transformer, so it could turn into a pickup truck or it can turn into this or it could turn into that. And I'm just like, this is not good. (laughs) Like, come on now, this is, you know, now now you've turned it into this thing that's like it, it belongs in Star Trek or something like that. I mean, it really doesn't have any place in our, our world. You know, it's very strange. So um, just I, b- before I forget, so Street Hawk made it through 13 episodes. And uh, and yep. the du- and the dude who who is the uh, Joe Regal Budo. We do just a second. Hyperthrust happens to be a very complex procedure. Yeah. That, that, he played that Norman right. Tuttle, and then he was on Murphy Brown. Yes. And if you yep. if you want to know even how 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 the uh, how Knight Rider the reboot could have been worse, looking at IMDb.com, uh, the the first trivia item is Chris Rock turned down an offer from David Hasselhoff to voice Kit. Oh my gosh! Could you have imagined that? <laughs> I'm not sure if that would have made it made it worse. Or oh my completely gosh. awesome. Maybe that was the missing ingredient. You know, I mean, because honestly, you, if if you could do that now, like allow Chris oh Rock to voice Kit, and you put on like Netflix, so you could cuss up a blue streak. <laughs> I'm tuning in. I don't. I don't oh care. Oh my gosh. Oh I'm my I'm gosh. tuning in for Chris Rock as a car. That's incredible. You know, I'm yeah, I'm a simple man. I I have no problem admitting it. Because when you think about it, at the end of the day, Chris Rock, the swearing car. I, I mean, <laughs> it, it practically sells itself. Um, it really does. <laughs> you tell me. You would at least give it one episode. 
Of course, of course. I mean, come on. But 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 you get what I'm saying. Like the whole concept of the the indestructible car traveling around fighting crime here, there, and everywhere just doesn't resonate the same way now that you have these other shows that we have. You know, I mean, now that I've watched a show like The Shield, or if I watch a show like. Um, uh, Game of Thrones or, you know, anything else like that. There, There's such depth to the story. And it's just like, I, I just find myself just needing more than just kind of this, like, you know, joyride through the West Coast, which is what well, Knight Rider basically was. And that is true. I think, I think TV has become a lot more sophisticated and we expect a lot more. I think it's people's expectations. Yeah. Like, we, yeah. we do have higher expectations because... There have been a series of shows over the last 20 years or so that really have elevated television above what it was in like the 80s and the 90s where, hey, yeah, you have this and the wacky neighbor and, you know, this right. and that and the other. I mean, look at Home Improvement as as an example. Like, oh, yeah, this dude has a Home Improvement show and he has the neighbor who you don't see and all this. And that was incredibly popular. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean... It's fun to watch in reruns, but it's also fun to rewatch, you know, like Laverne and Shirley. Would that fly now? I don't right, know. Right. But, uh, you know, it, it's just different now. Um, right, exactly. And I think, that, I think that speaks for, you know, Knight Rider. It even speaks for, like, um, I mean, you had down X-Files. I mean, I, I was not an X-Files guy for the original show. So there was, like, right. there was a less than zero chance that I was going to watch the reboot. But obviously, I think you did watch. Were you an X-Files guy? Um, I watched for a bit the old series. I did not watch the reboot. Um, I just read about the displeasure that fans had with it. And I think some of it um, centered on just the ridiculous expectations everyone had for it. I mean, I think, you know, I think coming back, they want, you know, I think fans really were expecting, um, you know, just... I, I mean, again, I don't know what they were expecting, honestly, but it was something more than what they got. You know, they, they were coming back. They're revisiting some, you know, maybe some unanswered stories from the original, I think, or from I think they did a movie at one point And that. I mean, the whole series is predicated on not answering questions. You know, I mean, it's kind of like a pre version of Lost, you know, um, yeah. where where part of part of what made it attractive was this ongoing story of the government hiding something from all of us with regards to aliens and what are the new things they uncover? And, and, um, you know, I, I, again, it's, it's hard for me to talk super critically about this because I feel like in order to do that, I really should have watched, you know? Um, but I, I will say given what I've read and just the general tone, um, that I gleaned from the fan base was just that the story just didn't kind of go in the direction I think that they were hoping it would. And I think it just kind of was more of a letdown in the end than it was. Um, I, I think the first few episodes uh, were wildly exciting because it was a return to the um, the old guard and um, getting Scully and Mulder back together and all this. But I think once that newness wore off, I think then it's like, well, what's next? You know, um, you know, same thing going back to Knight Rider. I, I feel like, um, you know, one of the things we talked about early on about what makes what what makes uh, a reboot not good is the fact that what are you bringing to the table that's different this time? You know, um, there was, I mean, I remember with, with this, with this Knight Rider reboot, there was a point where they did some twist where they killed off a couple of main characters because they were just trying to just get some interest in the show. 
I mean, yeah. like, it's almost like you're doing a reboot within a reboot. And if you're doing that at that point, it's like, oh, sweet Moses, get off of it already, you know? Well, it's like it's like the Cousin Oliver effect, yeah. you know? Like, you introduce a new character, you, and now the, the cool thing is, especially with, like, The Sopranos and right. Game of Thrones and, and even, like, uh, Battlestar Galactica to some degree, like, who's going to bite it this week? Is, right. is the new thing of so instead of like oh hey now cousin Oliver is coming to stay with us or oh we, we got a dog right. or now it's like who's going to get plugged in the head right and and we'll, we'll talk about this a little later with Battlestar it's but also I think violent now yeah it is um, but I think you would agree one of the things they did extremely well was weave into that story some of the fear and some of the 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 things that were going on in our society post nine eleven into that story. I mean, the fact that you have an entire race... You're talking about race, Battlestar now, right? Yeah, sorry. I'm switching over to Battlestar real quick. The, the, yeah, the yeah. fact you had the, the, the antagonists who had historically in the original show been robots yep. um, that were visibly robots now are these humanoids who you cannot distinguish from humans and were doing this sort of sleeper cell sort of attack that wiped out you know this, this, uh, this civilization. Yeah. I think that is what kickstarted a lot of interest in that show because that was playing on and kind of, you know, through the story, working through the fears and the consequences of this sort of thing happening. And, um, and, and why now, it made it so good. When, when you go back to Knight Rider, it, it, it just like, what was different there? There wasn't anything, you know, it yeah. was just, let's just use special effects to have the car do really cool things. And I think we're just past that point in our culture of being wowed by that. So do you think that there is there is a, a kind of almost an expiration date or a shelf life for some of these concepts um, and not to kind of to relate it to sports a little bit? Uh, people were excited when Joe Gibbs came back to coach, you know, football. And, and even some people were excited when John Gruden came back to coach football and they weren't too excited shortly thereafter. Once the season right. got rolling, um, because the game had passed them by, they'd been doing other stuff, and even in with someone like John Gruden, who had spent he's he'd been watching games. I mean, this is a dude who, even though he wasn't coaching, he was about as involved in the game as you could be. I mean, he was an analyst. He was he was on TV. He was breaking down film. He was doing his whole like Gruden quarterback camp crap, whatever he was doing. Like right. trying to pretend like he's breaking down these quarterbacks, like he's going to draft him or something, and comes in, you know, nothing. That was a really bad right. raspberry. I'm, there it is. Um, <laughs> I'm glad take I mean, two sounded of, better than take one. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not going to bother switching them around because I'm lazy. Um, oh, so, boy. but you know, they were away from the game long enough yeah. that when they came back, the expectations could not meet what they did before. You exactly. couldn't meet the, the Joe Gibbs expectations of winning Super Bowls. You couldn't meet the John Gruden. Like, he's just going to take a team and elevate them by almost his sheer will and personality and, and you know, angry face. Um, could that be the same case for something like the X-Files? Like, there's no way that after that layoff, the layoff kind of almost – gave people that breather and mythologized how great it was when maybe it was really good and it was great, but there's no way that when it comes back, it's going to be that good. And that with something like Battlestar Galactica, where it's, I mean, that was on, 
1978. I think it was off the air by 1980. Oh yeah. And then it and then it came back in 2004. So you have a layoff right. of what 24 years, yeah. where even though there was a lot of passionate fans, there was a lot of people who were like, "Oh yeah, I kind of remember that name," but eh, you know. Well, and, there was and, enough time. There was enough breathing room there that the the mythology had kind of managed to kind of tail off to a tolerable background level. Right, and and does that make any sense? Honestly, oh, it does absolutely. And, and I think like the original Battlestar is always held up as this example of of sci fi done wrong. I mean, it's just not. It's not I terribly say interesting. Done wrong. It was done. It was done in a very late seventies sort of way. It, it, it was here. Here's what I mean: done wrong. It was done during the same time period as Star Wars. When Star oh. Wars is your bar, Battlestar well, does not even hold a flame to it. Well, no, but that was the TV attempt at Star Wars. It, it, like, yes, that was that was a totally a show that would never have gotten greenlit before Star Wars exploded and they're like, all right, right. who has a sci-fi show that we can make like yesterday? And right. Glenn Larson's like, hey, I got an idea. They're like, here's a check. Get working, Spanky. And like, that was their attempt. You right. know, so I mean, it was an attempt. <laughs> and, oh, I mean, yeah. I, yeah. Have a lot of, I have a lot of great memories of, and it's funny you mentioned USA Network, but that was that was where you watched all these shows later on. <laughs> right. When you right. were like a kid and that's like Saturday afternoon. All of a sudden, Battlestar Galactica's on. It's like, hey, I could go out and play, or I could watch Lauren Green and, and Richard Hatch and Dirk Benedict. Right. I made my decision. Right. <laughs> Where's well, the and, popcorn and the Mountain Dew? And, and I think in that case, I, I mean, I don't, I have to go back and watch because I, I don't remember specifically what went wrong with it. I just think that story was. Oh, everything. <laughs> well, you know, it was there, cheesy. There, it was cheesy. There, it was by, cheesy, by but, but there standards. were aspects. Of, yeah, there were aspects of it, though, that they were playing to given the way the the pop culture was at the time. They were trying to do a lot of space battles, I think. I think they were, um, you know, trying to bring a lot of what people liked from Star Wars and bring it to, to the masses weekly. The problem is you've got to have something beyond just Apollo and Starbuck going out and shooting things, you know. And yeah. I, think that, I think that was the problem, and that's when you hold the mirror up to the 2004 version. It's like, oh, Sweet Moses, this is just completely, you can't even compare the two of them. And which is probably why I, I talk about it so disparagingly, because I'm, I'm, you know, in my residual memory right now is the 04 version, which is just, I really enjoyed. And yeah, um, if you can't tell, we've already brought it up like twice. Yes. Like, you know, I mean, it, we don't, even, this isn't even foreshadowing. This is just like beating people over the head with, there will be a <laughs> Battlestar Galactica discussion. <laughs> In the second half of this podcast, you can you can count on it. Vegas has oh taken it off the boards. That's right. Um, but so let's go let's go to a couple more horrible or or reboots that we're not fans of. Uh, and you mentioned Spider Man, so you had original OG uh, Spider Man, Tobey Maguire, hanging upside down, um, doing his thing, uh, and then they had to do the Amazing Spider Man because Spider Man Three happened. Yep. Yeah. Which and nobody really wants to talk about, um, and then that was then eventually that went away, in order for Spider-Man to go to the MCU. Right, right, and and I think it's a nice transition given what you were asking about, um, which I don't think I actually ever answered, which is the shelf life aspect of this, mm -hmm. and and I think there are some things that do have a shelf life. I think um, when you try to reboot something too soon, which is what I feel happened with Amazing Spider-Man. 
Um, you are, I, I mean, in all these cases of the reboots, and, and maybe we should just say this once and not continue to repeat it, but mo- money is the motivating factor. Oh, and yeah. There's going, and, and there's going to be some segment of audience that is going to see these because of the fact that some business person determined they're going to make some reasonable amount of money off of this, right? Yep. But it really feels like from Spider-Man 3 to then doing trying to do a reboot five years later mm-hmm. feels way too soon, you know, and, and feels like it's it's just happening in a way that, you know, how, how are you how, – how do you justify rebooting? I mean, I mean, if you really think about it, when they make these movies, they're filmed a year or even two years in advance of when they're actually released because they have to be, you know, edited, produced, and so forth. So we're really talking about three years after Spider-Man 3 was released, you know, um, when this was brought up. And and um, I just feel like it, it just fell short because it was just too soon, you know. Um, well, and, and I think that can impact sometimes. And, and that's actually not the norm. I think the Amazing Spider-Man happening when it did is, is, not, uh, is, is more unusual than usual. I think there is usually a period of time that is – allowed to go by before they go down this road because they know people have got to forget before you can get the nostalgia thing going yeah um, you want me to, you in want this me to, case they didn't you want me to quickly explain to you why um why that happened please as soon as quickly as it did and i can do it with with two words and a number iron man 2008 that is uh, when the mcu officially kicked off in 2008. Iron Man 2 came out in 2010. And at that point, they're making all the money, and Marvel is now a studio, and they're starting to say, hey, we're going to do this and this and this and this. And Sony's like, crap. <laughs> yeah, We got to get on this bandwagon because Marvel is making a ton of money. And so they started trying to f- figure all this stuff out because then... So uh, let's see here. So Spider Amazing Spider-Man comes out in 2012. The Amazing Spider-Man 2 comes out in 2014. And then we get the ill-fated Fantastic Four reboot in 2015, after which, uh, let's see here, when did Spider-Man Homecoming come out? That was 2017. So somewhere after the Fantastic Four debacle happened, Sony was like, hey, guess what? We don't know how to do this. <laughs> yes. And Marvel and Marvel called at the right time like, hey, you know what? We'll make the movie. You can slap your name on it. We just have an agreement so that we can use your character and we'll write you a big stinky check and you're almost guaranteed to make more money than what you've made off of any of these other movies. Yes. And hopefully yeah. someone at Sony was like, you had us at hello. <laughs> Whatever you want, you right? Know? Oh, absolutely, and and that's totally why the why you got that reboot as quickly as possible because, you know, they, uh, with Fantastic Four, you know, I mean, I don't know if you know the story behind that whole deal, but Fantastic Four, uh, the the first one, well, kinda, was two thousand and five. Before that, there was actually a Fantastic Four movie that was made by Roger Corman famous B-movie director um, because they, uh, Fox, oh wait, I'm sorry, that's Fox, not Sony. Anyways, I got my two studios confused. But anyway, the point still holds, neither one of them knew what the heck they were doing. Anyways, right. so 
uh, Fox basically had gotten the rights to do Fantastic Four, and they had to use the characters in order to keep those rights. Otherwise, they would revert back to Marvel. They wanted to keep the rights. So they made a B-movie version of the Fantastic Four that basically they never thought would be released. They made it so they could say, we made a movie, even though no one ever saw it. And then Fantastic Four comes along. They made that movie. It did all right. The reason why they really had to come out with another Fantastic Four movie was to keep the rights. Yeah. And and I'm guessing that there might be something similar there with Spider-Man, but with them, I'm guessing it's, we, we just want to get on this train. Like, hey, if we reboot this, we can get on this thing because people like superhero movies. Look at, what, what's, look at what's happening with Marvel. And right. they got and right on the bandwagon without realizing, like, oh, we need to have compelling story and characters and do this the right way. Not just, hey, we're going to throw something at the screen and people will love it. Right, and and I think what what DC has proven, and as you've just described with what Sony did, anytime you rush this sort of thing, um, it inevitably blows up in their faces because you can't replicate what Marvel did without having a thoughtful plan and process in place because they clearly have done that. Mm-hmm. And they weren't stupid with Spider-Man Homecoming because let's be honest, what was one of the draw factors for Spider-Man Homecoming? Remember uh, who 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 was in that movie along with Spider Man? Uh, let me. Uh, was it? Was it? Mister Tony Stark. <laughs> right? That was one of the most brilliant like pairings, and and they did that. They did that obviously in Civil War. Like that's where that whole thing started. Like pairing yes, those two yes. up was such a brilliant idea because you really did. You had like the the jaded dude who is like everything that Peter Parker isn't. And then the Peter Parker, you kind of always wish we'd had like the, the true teenager Peter, Peter Parker, which I thought was a brilliant thing in Homecoming of like right. doing all the stupid things that if you had superpowers as a teenager, you totally would have done. Right. And, you know, what was so brilliant about the way that Marvel did that was they were using Tony Stark as a draw. So so people or I don't mean to say you, Robert Downey Jr., you know, being Iron Man as a draw for that movie. Yeah, And then when you actually watch the movie, nothing they do other than having characters who are, you know, similar in name and whatnot from the comic book um, are about the only similarities to any prior Spider-Man movie that was made. They make Mm -hmm. the brilliant decision of bringing Vulture into it and having an actual grounded story in that universe of why this guy would go down this this road of, of being a bad guy, which was completely based in the idea that they got screwed out of all this business because, um, you know, because of everything that happened in New York in, in was it 2012, which was Avengers one. Um, uh, yes. I you know, ju- just the whole story around that where, where Michael Keaton's character becomes evil because he got hosed out of something, you know, at that time, you know, his company was doing some reconstruction work and, and, you know, lost business for whatever reason to someone else and so on. I mean, the way they wove that in and then the whole father-son dynamic between Tony and, and you know, Peter Parker was just in, was just brilliant. And then that ends up having a huge impact on Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. Um, yeah, and, and so, not to mention there was the thing that Amazing Spider-Man had going against it is, hey, we're going to kill Peter Parker's family again. Right, right. Like, you just saw that not that long ago, but hey, we're going we're gonna to off him again for you. Right. Like, and Seriously? Yeah, it's like how many times can these poor people be put to death? You know, <laughs> it's like it, it, it gets to be almost ridiculous. And then as you brought up Fantastic Four, 
I know, I think they just announced that Marvel's going to do a reboot of that, um, not soon, but as part of this Phase 4 they're doing. I, I think they of, announced of it last what? week. Of uh, Fantastic, Fantastic Four? Yes. However... Well, if you look at... Um, have you seen uh, Far From Home? Yes, I have. So if in the post credit scene, when he, when Peter Parker, when well, when Spider-Man is swinging through New York and he goes past Stark Tower... Uh, or what was Avengers Tower, there's yeah. construction stuff up. They're redoing it and all this. And there's a, like, um, when you have the fencing and they have, like, the banners across it and stuff like that as advertising or whatever. And it says, you know, we can't wait to show you what's next. One, two, three, like, oh. leading to four. And that and people are like, well, it could be phase four of the MCU or it could be Fantastic Four and that building is going to be the Baxter building. Which is oh, okay. where the Fantastic Four live, because the Fantastic Four live in New York City. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, and it's a given too, because I mean, the, that is now that uh, Disney owns Fox, they're going to have the rights to use the Fantastic Four and X Men and all of the characters therein. I mean, yeah. the only thing they really don't have an agreement to to use right now, the one thing that Sony held on to was Venom. Mm-hmm. And and the kind of the characters that are associated with Venom. Otherwise, they were like, yeah, you can have Spider-Man, and yeah. they're going to try and do their own thing with Venom. Which I'm like, eh, okay, whatever. But otherwise, now Marvel has all the toys, so yeah, it's kind of yeah, yeah. So, so what I was going to say with Fantastic Four though is is that like I have given what Marvel's done, I have full faith that they will pull it off and do something interesting with them. However, oh, totally. Given what you've described as the last two attempts to reboot that, you know, is that franchise just beaten to a bloody pulp at this point? I mean, there, no. there, there, there's just not at all. Okay, I don't. I don't even need to hear the rest of your explanation. And I, I'm sorry for kicking for for cutting you off like on the eve of your birthday. But no, if they can take Spider-Man, who had been run through the ringer, you know, with Spider-Man 3 and then trying to reboot that and and do the whole like oh yeah now we're going to show you know Peter Parker's family get off again and and this and that and the other and then take that and go and spin that into Civil War Homecoming uh, Spider-Man's part in uh, in uh, Infinity War and Endgame which he had like he was the emotional heart of kind of Tony Stark's story arc there I mean, that was a lot of lifting for that. There was a lot of pivoting going on with that character. Right. If he, if they can do that with that character, I mean, hardly, there's not that many people that actually saw that Fantastic Four reboot. A lot of people saw that stinker coming a long way off and avoided it like the plague. I mean, the director but, even warned people off. So I think that it's kind of an easy thing. Like, totally they can do that. Totally. But that's what I'm They're wondering. Just ignore is everything that they don't like. Right, and, and that's what I'm wondering is if, like what you just said, though, people didn't even bother to go to it. Like, I know Marvel's doing it and people will come, but, but, you, but we have to remember that there is no more Tony Stark. There is no more Thanos. There's no, oh, like right now, at least with the way Phase 4 is right now, we don't have an overarching story arc in the Marvel Universe for the first time. Yep. Right? Everything since Iron Man, not Iron Man 1, sorry, everything since Avengers 1 was building toward a standoff with Thanos. Okay. And let me, let me with pitch Fantastic something to you. Four, what are they going to 
draw from and are they going to the one thing that i i do agree with you on with marvel is they will find a way to bring a different tone to this because they've done it with guardians of the galaxy they've done it they've actually done it with thor i mean they've completely pivoted with thor and turned thor almost into a guardians like sort of franchise now where it's a little bit lighthearted with some goofiness and some you know you know some spirit and some soul in it you know yeah, um, well, and that's that's been almost like a borderline soft reboot of that character, which is something we can talk about with with the next thing we have on the docket. But anyway, go because because I, I feel like they had to do that because after Thor two, I think they realized if we do another straight up Thor against a bad guy movie, this is not going to go well. Oh, totally. So so we have got to do something more creative with this character. But can and I that pitch kind of something to you? What's that? Can I pitch something to you just oh, to oh, just to prove? how Marvel will do this, and and you'll be like, oh, yeah, of course. I got my catcher's mitt on, pitch. Here's my movie. I'm not even going to tell you the story. However, main cast members, the dumb guy from Parks and Rec, a former pro wrestler who was not really the greatest guy talking, and a sentient talking raccoon. <laughs> would you would i just out of hand would you have been like oh i totally will watch that movie no it made no. a gazillion dollars so no, honestly point, i i thought like marvel thought is guardians, in like whatever <laughs> yeah I, I thought i thought guardians was going to be the first one they stubbed their toe on honestly how how were they going to make a movie interesting that had a talking raccoon I, I just couldn't see it because so much of what they had done up to that point was somewhat grounded in now, if you told me that Chris that Rock universe. was voicing the raccoon. Well, shh, I mean, come on. That practically sells itself once again. Because, so. <laughs> again, the fact is, like, Chris Rock doing the voice for anything. Like, actually, if Chris Rock had been doing the genie from Aladdin, I might have warmed to it a little bit more. Right. I'm not sure, but maybe. Well, if it was Chris Rock doing the genie, or in this case, Will Smith doing the genie, and it was it was a different take on it. I mean, for, forget what Robin Williams did and do something different with it. That, that I think, is the point, right? Yeah. As, as long as you're doing something that is playing to the strengths of the person who's representing that character and you're doing it in a way that services a new story that is different, um, yet, you know, plays on maybe on some of the some similar notes as the original, then I think you have a recipe for something that could be good, you know, versus yeah. something that is this retread where you're just kind of like, okay, I'm watching this all over again. Yeah, which then kind of leads into this whole idea of, because I don't know if you've heard the term before, but have you heard, like, soft reboot? Like, it's we're not trying to yeah. change everything. We're just trying to tweak it a little, you know? Like, it, right. we're not really right. changing direction. We're just moving a step to the left or to the right. Oh, yeah, no, you're, you're bailing on somebody because somebody has gotten to be a gigantic pain in the butt. So you're like, that person's gone. Forget about them. Forget they ever existed. Um, which brings us to... Uh, another thing that has ruined my childhood, uh, Transformers, <laughs> because Michael Bay just, I don't know, he hates me personally. So is this Transformers, all just one big counseling session for you? Is that what this is? <laughs> damn it, you figured me out. Uh, uh, it's all been a ruse. <laughs> I can't find a counselor who will allow me to bring whiskey into a session. <laughs> Oddly oh, enough, they have all these rules about this sort of stuff. I know, I know. No, but you yes. can't bring it. You can't bring a, whiff, uh, a a decanter of whiskey and a and a you know, you know a, a ice bucket <laughs> in with you. 
I'm like, why not? I'm paying for it. I mean, I should be able to bring in a cheese tray if I want. I mean, you're on my anyways. Dime. Anyways, yeah, exactly. You're working Tra- for me now. Transformers. Yeah, so Transformers uh, made approximately a gazillion dollars when it first came out, even though a flawed movie, to say the very least. Um, I think they could have done a shot-for-shot live-action remake of Transformers the movie, like the 1980s Unicron movie, and it would have been better than the Transformers movie that we got with Michael Bay. But anyways, so they made a few of those movies, and then Shia LaBeouf kind of... (laughs) Did did what Shia LaBeouf does? (laughs) We're not really sure where he went to. Um, <laughs> I, I'm still not really sure what. I kind of, in some ways, just I. I really hope that he's okay. <laughs> you know, right. he's one of those guys. Like, I would be. I. I don't want to make fun of him because I. I legit am worried about that dude's sanity. I hope he's in a good place. Anyways, um, and then uh, Megan Fox had some disagreement with Michael Bay, so they were both like dead to him and. They're like, hey, we're going to bring in Marky Mark, but we don't have enough money for the Funky Bunch, so it's just Marky Mark. And they tried to do this whole soft reboot, like, hey, we're going to switch in different humans, and didn't really work. And then they did a couple of those movies, and then they were like, hey, we're going to do kind of a, a soft, hard reboot with Bumblebee. And we're just, you know what, we can't handle <laughs> telling apparently a story with lots of gigantic robots, so we're just going to focus on one. Um and that one, the funny part is, it's the lowest grossing of the Transformers movies, but it has actually gotten the best reviews by critics. So I think what they did is they just whittled down the, they just beat the audience into submission to the point where they like, we're not even going to go see it anymore. Yeah, yeah, they, they, um, they fatigue them. Yeah, uh, but so every, every Transformers movie after the first one grossed less money all the way down until you hit Bumblebee, um, which is kind of a hard reboot in that they're like, hey... We've messed this up a lot. <laughs> so that's kind of the that's the other thing that's annoying about some of these reboots is like trying to play that game of oh well we're just changing it a little. Yeah. No, you're you're trying to fix something in midstream and it ain't working. Right. Um, another example of that. Another thing that I won't say it ruined my childhood because I wasn't exactly, you know, jazzed up for this movie anyways, but. Uh, the G.I. Joe movies, which the first one was like, hey, it's, you know, this is how we're telling the origin story and blah, 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 blah. And then the second one came out and like, yeah, you know those other characters? They dead. So. <laughs> Talk about hitting the reset button, you know? Like, just real quick, like, oh, yeah, by the way, them, done. Forget about them. They never existed. And everything's different. And and here's The Rock. And here's <laughs> Bruce Willis. And these are your these are your favorites now. Forget those other guys ever existed. Like, oh wow, great. Yeah, um, that's what I was gonna say. You know, because that that's what you need to solve your your woes. Bring the rock into the movie, and everything will be fixed. Well, I mean, I gotta say, if there's one person in Hollywood right now that you don't want to bet against, it is Dwayne Johnson. Oh yeah, no, I mean, I, absolutely. He is. He is he is what Will Smith was in his prime when he was making like Independence Day, um, Bad Boys, Bad Boys Two, all these flicks that were just making all the money. Like his just was knocking hit after hit after hit after hit, and then he'd do like a movie that was kind of like The Pursuit of Happiness and might not make a gazillion dollars, but people were like, oh, he's such a great actor and all this. I mean, that dude was just you you couldn't knock him down until. What was the movie that he did uh, with his kid there 
It was like oh. a space movie, and he spent the whole like movie like strapped to a chair in a swamp or something. Yeah, was, I know what you're talking. I forget the name of it, but I know what you're talking about. I think that was where things started going a little sideways for Will right there. But yeah, um, yeah. and now I mean, <laughs> hey, Aladdin made a ton of money, and here comes Bad Boys Three. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> that was a that was a little detour, but you're, I think you're going to be all right. Um, still, he's still living off of you know getting jiggy with it money so yeah yeah i know <laughs> i mean hey i wouldn't mind having like one percent of that royalty check that'd be <laughs> that's a whole lot of whiskey ladies and gentlemen it is um but where was i going with this well we were talking about the rocks involvement and <laughs> yes. I, I was okay. thinking to myself so, that hulk hogan is probably quite envious of the rock due to the fact that i think that was i think the rock has had the movie career hogan always wanted Yes, although I mean, I, actually, it was a. Uh, I think it was uh, actually, Meltzer. Dave, Todd, Dave Todd, Meltzer. Todd, I've got yeah. it. Why don't oh, they boy. reboot No Holds Barred? <laughs> Somebody get this man on a phone to a producer. Book it. Because I mean, you put put Rock in that. Done. Done. Oh, the Rock would would destroy that movie <laughs> and and you know what you could probably get uh you could probably get tiny uh what's his name uh tony lister is it oh yeah, t- tiny. yeah. T- tiny tony lister something like that you could probably get him now also like, known as one of those... zeus yes and for a while he was like that was like his nickname and everything because that was like the one thing and then he then he was in friday and everyone's like debo um <laughs> Dude, that that guy played Zeus in a Hulk Hogan movie, Debo in an Ice Cube Chris Tucker movie, and then he played the president of Earth in The Fifth Element. Oh, that's right. That's he a did. career, ladies and gentlemen. That, that is, is range. Hey, hey, and and he wrestled as Zeus at a WWE pay per view. Well, you know what? So, David so, Arquette was WCW champion, so, so I don't know how much we want to put into this. No, no, no. It's it's funny, though, because you have an actor and you playing know the a wrestler don't you? being a wrestler at a wrestling event. That's that's It's just, like Inception. It, it kind of is. It's like wrestling Inception in a way. It's very it's like, strange. It's like four levels deep. It's like a dream within a dream within an angle within a work. I, I apologize. I got us way off topic. But <laughs> so, Sir, we were... We've already we've been way off topic for about thirty minutes now. So, it's so okay. GI Joe and The Rock. So anyway, bringing in The Rock to try and write a franchise, I can't knock him for that because if there's one dude you're going to bring in, even at that point, like he was still money in the bank. Like that was a dude who you knew was going to draw. Like, hey, yeah. we need someone with muscles who can, you know, be kind of funny and shoot a gun and pull off all the action stuff. Get me Dwayne Johnson. You know, done. But uh, it it didn't work, and and now we have no more GI Joe movies, thankfully. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, anyways, let's get off the the worst, and kind of let's move into a, a a little bit of a no man's land here, uh, if you will, the DMZ between the worst and the best. <laughs> um, what? What? So we had mentioned this. This is one you put on the list, and I think it's a very interesting one because it's it's kind of an adaptation of of a with elements of a remake with elements of a reboot across three different forms of media yes um so and here we are talking about watchmen yeah yeah so you have go from a graphic novel to the Zack snyder movie um which you could even split that into two because you have the, the theatrical release and then you have the director's cut which is much longer and a little bit more complete 
um, I think slightly more satisfying for people who started out as fans of the graphic novel. And then now we have a um, uh, a series on what is it HBO? Yeah, it's going to be on HBO. That's coming out pretty soon here, right? Yeah. Is it the fall, September, or something like that? Uh, I think it's in the fall. I should know this because I just watched the trailer last night that they released. But um, well, you've already had like six Goose Island IPAs tonight, so don't worry about it. Well, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm still with it, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's convincing. And for the record, I've had one, so let's just. Uh... <laughs> um, but yeah, I want a breathalyzer hooked up to your iMac. Right okay, now. well we we can get that hooked up. Um, but the uh, yeah, I, I there's think an that, app for that. <laughs> you know what? It would not surprise me in the least if there is. Hi, um, breathalyzer. My gosh. Um, yeah, th- this is kind of the bridge. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> wow. I mean. Yeah, don't don't hide it or anything. Um. <laughs> I, I was away from the mic there. All right. Oh my gosh, that was funny. Talk, talk. Would you earn so, some money? Yes. So Watchmen is kind of the bridge example um, from worst into best because um, that that story. Out of, so the graphic novel um, was groundbreaking at the time it came out. Um, mainly now, quick question: Did did you what order did you? Did so you go? Did you I, graphic novel movie? I read the graphic novel first. So I, I had heard basically when I first saw the trailer, I was really intrigued by it because it mm-hmm. here's this like kind of superheroish movie, but they're all like regular people in a way. Um, and it just kind of caught my eye. And um, and my brother in law was um, you know uh, was, was a big comic book um, or is a big comic book um, fan. And so I I happened to be able to borrow it from him, and so I read. Um, you know, and it was a very well done story. I mean, I was just like glued to it as I was reading it. It was just, um, you know, just very well done story. Um, wanting to always kind of, you know, I, I did the thing where I didn't, you know, cheat and look at the Wikipedia summary or whatever. I, I really just wanted to experience the story, you know, fresh. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and overall, it was an excellent story that you know had. It, it, it had that kind of darkness to it, and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit with, with I think, uh, the best with Batman, where uh, it was bringing to light in, in through the story this this texture or, or this concept of superheroes, you know, not necessarily being the good guys, you know, and, and yeah. the, the cynicism that starts to build over time as they do their work to save humanity and start to see humanity collapsing upon itself and, and what that does to them. And, yeah. and it was really interesting kind of reading it, it. It is a dark story, but it's a dark story with a dark twist that actually ends up with a very positive kind of hopeful tone to it at the end. Um, but with one of the, but kind of with the lingering cloud of a question overhead of at what cost does this hope come at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so when they adapt, when Zack Ryder adapted into a movie, I was, you know, so I got through the book uh, or through the graphic novel and then you watch the movie and the movie was really, um, you know, a, a tribute in a lot of ways to the graphic novel. I mean, it was really like Zack Ryder, uh, Zack Ryder, Zack Snyder lifted the pages out of the, the graphic novel and, and put them onto film. Um, really doing service to it, really playing, you know, to the tones, the colors, the um, the characters themselves. I mean, Rorschach was exactly what I kind of envisioned in my mind um, and was a character I really enjoyed throughout the story. Um, 
uh, uh, you know, amongst others and stuff. But it did have a key point in that in the graphic novel, a key difference. And that in the graphic yeah, hashtag novel, spoilers. Yeah, hashtag spoilers. In the graphic novel, the big twist at the end is there's a cataclysmic event that ends up bringing all the nations to kind of together, so that um, throughout the whole story, you know, um, they're they're on the brink of World War Three, um, mainly uh, the United States and Russia. And by the end of the book, there's this catastrophic event that happens that brings all of the countries together, and so peace is kind of restored. Um, and it was basically. Uh, but it was basically a, ca- a cataclysmic event that was caused. You know what? I'll, I'll tell you what. Can we? Because the thing is, like, I don't want someone to just keep listening to this and not listen to the rest of the podcast. Yeah. But I, I, like, I, I feel like that is the difference between the the novel and the movie is so stark. Yeah. And it's worthwhile for people to experience firsthand. Okay. Can we? Could yeah. we just say that there's a cataclysmic event? Yep. And it's a different cataclysmic event in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Can you just say that? It, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's 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 the same basic concept, but it's done in a different way. And it's done in a way yeah. that I think gives the movie story its own um, character in a way. You know, uh, so and, and then with the new show, I mean, near is what I can tell from the trailer. I, I can't tell if it's actually taking place during the events of the graphic novel or I almost got the sense that it's almost like something that happens after the events of the graphic novel, huh. which means they're really going into brand new territory with all this. So, um, so, so anyway, so that's the reason I kind of brought this one up is it's interesting in a sense, because I think one of the criticisms of the Zack Snyder film was how handcuffed it was to the, to the actual graphic novel. It wasn't really taking the story and, and doing its own thing with it, except for the twist at the end. Um, the rest of it was very much done to service the fans of the of the graphic novel, I believe. And, and you had mentioned the extended version, which I think has content that is also, you know, I think content that they deemed maybe not as critical to telling the overall story, but is very much a replication of um, story that was from the graphic novel. Yeah. I, so so I so that's actually, where it was like almost so true to the to, to the original source material that it's just kind of like th- there was no suspense really to it, you know? Well, in a way, yes, but uh, I think there's also you're when you're dealing with this, when you're dealing with an adaptation from print whether it's a graphic novel or a written novel, like just plain old novel to movie there's there's so many different issues and this could be an entire episode because i i could tell you the the novel adaptations that i have actually enjoyed and there's not a you know there's not a ton that i would say that i enjoyed better than the book there's probably maybe two um there's a whole lot that i've seen that i'm like oh my gosh this is trash compared to the book like not even not even in the same ballpark. Like, they're barely even playing the same sport. It's like single-A ball as opposed to Major League Baseball. Um, there's so many different issues because what works in print doesn't always work in, or, or frequently does not work in movies. You need to have uh, different things. And an example of that would be, like, Ready Player One. Going back to that, the first challenge to gain, like, the first kind of thing in that movie for the characters to get over the first challenge for them to get over in the book is very kind of like oh hey huh, that's kind of cool 
Like they have to go and they have to, uh, the character has to um, recite the movie War Games from memory. Because, yeah. I mean, t- that's totally realistic. Not terribly cinematic, though. Right, right. <laughs> Whatsoever. Um, so in the movie, they changed it to a car race. And they had all these cars. Like there was, uh, I think the main character was in the Back to the Future DeLorean. Right. And then right. there was like the Tron light cycles and this and that and the other. Visually, it worked. And for a story sense, it also worked because they managed to figure out a way to make the kind of the pitfalls of it all work and, and to show like, oh, I have an understanding of this that you don't. That sort of thing. Right. So it worked that way. Watchmen was one of those things like when I had heard that it was unfilmable, air quotes, I was like, well, why? I mean, nothing is un- unfilmable, truly. Right. You know, you, you can figure out a way to do it. It's just whether or not it's going to be any good. Um, I did it in the opposite order. I watched the movie first. I had watched both the theatrical and the director's edition um, and then read the graphic novel. And when I went back and read the graphic novel, I'm like, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because one of the things uh, I think that you, and it's easy to forget, one of the main things that is missing from the movie is the entire, like, commentary framing device of the um, kind of the background, like, file folders like those big pages of text going over like the um, that whole thing with the pirate comic. Yes, yes. That the ki- And the newsstand and all that that gets totally left out of the movie. And I'm like, I can see why that got left out of the movie. Like, how do you incorporate this and make it work? Right. That's like a whole other movie in and of itself. And, it, and now you're dealing with something that would have had to have been not a movie. It would have had to have been like three movies if right. you're going to incorporate that. You could totally do it, but the chances of someone actually saying, yes, make a Watchmen trilogy <laughs> right. are now, slim and none. Now, you, know, you got one movie, buddy. You one, got one movie. One of the things that he did very well, I felt, was the uh, montage at the beginning where mm. he took basically... One of the best openings of any movie in terms of like actually giving you backstory and story in such a condensed visual form. Oh, yeah. Like, no dialogue. Yep. And that is one thing Zack Snyder does so well. He is such a great visualist. Yeah. You know, like even a movie like um, like uh, like Sucker Punch. You ever see that? Uh, I didn't see that. No, it's not a great movie. But visually it, it like there is so much in that movie that I'm like. That was an amazing visual or just some of the like just some of the things he does that shows it visually. And then I'm like. But it's only it, it it feels very surface. Like right. it doesn't feel like there's any depth underneath it, and that's the part that's always a little hard, like to deal with. Right. Even and and that opening montage, he's basically in a way introducing the characters from because the story talks about a lot of these characters that that were very early in in time and and basically how they age um, across across the years and across different events. Mm-hmm. That happen and and you know again without gi- without giving too much away, you know it, it really takes place in the 1980s with a very different sort of 1980s U.S. Russia sort of dynamic going on. Um, yeah, and and that actually now that I think about it, he did a great job of like taking some of that information from those like 
if you're reading the graphic novel, like it's it's traditional like graphic novel thing, and then all of a sudden you get these pages of text. We're like, holy crap, what is this? Yeah. So and it's like excerpts from books and and articles, and he does a great job of distilling those pages down to like a few frames. Right, and and that and that, it's the whole story. It's such a great example of like movies when you're supposed to show and not tell. Yes. It's yeah. Beautiful. Like like basically in a five minute montage, he covers a whole lot of of exposition that goes on in the. Oh, novel. it's less than five. I'd say I, that's what that's like two and a half, three minutes. Is Has it? to be. Oh, yeah, okay. I mean, because oh, uh, they, they they cover a lot. I mean, they're they're going through like the the first kind of version of the Watchmen all the way through. Um. Like the through the Vietnam conflict all the way up through um, to present day, and and you see some you know some of the early guard that ends up you know um, you know dying for whatever reasons you know you yeah. see that. But here the great part is you don't know who any of them are really. You're, you're just seeing this group of excuse me group of superheroes uh, of or these heroes who are just going through these different events trying to impact them and just seeing which ones survive and make their way through and which ones, you know, don't. And um, it was just kind of a very brilliant way of kind of leading up to, you know, kicking off the story. Um, so so, so that's, just, that's why it kind of rides that line because yeah. in some ways he's very much handcuffed, I'll use the term, to, to, the, to the novel. But in other ways, he does a brilliant job in telling some of the story in a very creative way that works on film. So just to just to kind of uh, fact check you on that, I just looked up and let me see here. Um, times there, yeah. So that opening sequence is Bob Dylan. The times they are changing, right? That the the recorded version of that uh, that I found on iTunes is. Three minutes, 12 seconds. The version I found on YouTube, which I think some background noise just popped in while we were taping, uh, was two minutes, 37 seconds. Okay. So that that opening montage is probably three minutes or under. And so, so I'll split minutes, the difference with you. <laughs> I mean, he condensed down so much oh, information yeah. into yeah. that. It's remarkable. Absolutely. Remarkable. Um, but I think it's a great example of, like, it almost counts as a reboot bringing it from you know it's it's almost more than it's it's this weird mixture of an adaptation and an homage and a reboot because there is that change at the end there is the removing of like okay I can't use this it's yeah. gone yeah. and that was a major framing device in the graphic novel oh yeah yeah that whole newsstand like the comic and all the pirate comic and all that that was a major part of that and, um, and he totally and made the also, right. Yeah, he totally made the right choice, like leaving that stuff out, but still providing it. Yeah, and then also just the idea of um, it felt like, and I, this is one of those things I didn't really realize until I read somebody talking about it online after I'd read the novel, read the graphic novel, and also had watched the movie and all that. the The character of Ozymandias is a little bit different. Like the way it's portrayed is a little bit different than how you would expect. Yeah from the graphic novel like the character they took the they it's a it's a bit different portrayal i mean so i mean there were some differences but yes so many times it was like it's like yes that's a that's a frame out of the comic right you know almost like when uh when uh marvel did civil war there was moments where or or even um like avengers 2 when they did that whole lineup at the very beginning 
you know, and they all line up and it goes slow-mo and, and everybody is in one line. That's a page that's like, they, they were like, yes, we want to use this frame somehow. We will make this work. And in Civil War, they had that moment where Iron Man is firing at Cap's shield. And they went to slow-mo and you see them in profile. Like, that was a, that's a frame out of a comic book that they're like, this has to be in it. Oh, um, interesting. But it felt like Zack Snyder's movie was a lot more of those moments. Instead of, like, three, it was like, here's 300 of these. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and, uh, and actually, now that I think about it, Zack Snyder directed 300, so I really got real meta there. <laughs> um, but this is an example of something that could be a remake, could be a reboot, it could just be a continuation. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to tell, but there is a little bit of hope because as much as there is to dislike about some of the adaptation, there was a lot to like. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I think there could be a lot to like about this, this series. I haven't actually seen the trailer that you've seen, so immediately after we finish recording, I am going to go watch that now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it looks interesting, and if I'm reading through the, the tea leaves the right way, I think it's going to be taking place after the events of what we've already seen in the movie, which if that's the case, I'm pretty jazzed about that because then that means original story being told. So um, if not, I'm hoping it's kind of deep diving into gaps in the timeline that, you know, we're not told, you know, in, in, in the original story that will still be original story. But in the end, I'm all about doing something original, even if it's with these characters that, you know, have already been had been portrayed in, in a particular way in film. And I agree. I'm on board for that. I'm just confused about the fact that you're talking about tea leaves because I thought you were drinking IPA. Uh, I guess I switched over, so. <laughs> and so we broke our own rule of trying to keep these things at least somewhat brief and timely. So we are going to divide this podcast into two parts. Thank you for tuning in for part one, Reboots the Worst. We will be posting our second half of this, Reboots the Best, next week. So please be sure to subscribe here either on Podbean or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Free Range Idiocy. Or you can follow us on Facebook at Free Range Idiocy. We appreciate it. And tune in next week to find out, well, why we kind of like some reboots.